everyone. Welcome to our Pensions Lawcast, which this time is looking at the pension regulator's draft prosecution policy in relation to the new criminal offences. The regulator is currently consulting on this policy and consultation closes soon on 22nd April. The criminal offences were some of the most controversial aspects of the new Pension Schemes Act 2021 due to their breadth. Therefore, the regulator's approach to prosecution is highly material. Today, we will take you through the draft prosecution policy and draw out some of the key points illustrating the regulator's intentions regarding prosecution. First up is Simon, who's going to begin with an introduction or reminder about the new offences. Thank you, Kate. Now, the new criminal offences cover two main areas. These reflect the grounds on which contribution notices can currently be issued. TPR also has new powers to issue civil penalties of up to £1 million in relation to the same types of actions as well. But they are in addition to TPR civil powers. So some targets of investigation could be in scope for both a monetary obligation to the scheme from a contribution notice and a civil penalty and all the criminal sanctions, which can go up to seven years in prison and a fine of any amount. The two areas for criminal offences are broadly, firstly, taking action which avoids the full recovery of a Section 75 debt, and this is only where the Act was carried out with the intention that it would have that effect. And secondly, taking action which is materially detrimental to the likelihood of accrued scheme benefits being received, where the person taking action knew or ought to have known that it would have that effect. In either case, though, it is only a criminal offence if the person did not have a reasonable excuse for acting in that way. What will count as a reasonable excuse is the focus of the guidance being produced by TPR, and Kate will discuss that in more detail. As these are criminal offences, what we call the burden of proof is on the pensions regulator. This means that they must prove all the elements of the crime beyond reasonable doubt to the jury or magistrates. This includes proving that the defendant did not have a reasonable excuse. However, TPR have said in their draft guidance that they expect that those being investigated to raise potential excuses with them. This gets into areas of criminal law and the ability of TPR to demand answers and attack your credibility for raising points late in the day. But in many cases, we would expect clients to want to explain why what they did was above board and to nip a criminal investigation in the bud. At the moment, the guidance that has been issued is only applicable to TPR because they are the ones who have prepared it. Private prosecutions, such as by members, cannot generally be brought as the consent of the Director of Public Prosecutions in England and Wales is needed, or the consent of the equivalent authorities in Scotland or Northern Ireland. However, alongside TPR, prosecutions can be brought by these same prosecution authorities and by the Secretary of State. These other government bodies are not required to follow TPR's policy, but they may still decide to adopt it. The next key point to note is that TPR's guidance is about when they expect to prosecute. The legal test, though, is a decision for a court, and the guidance is not for, not nor binding on a court. In a jury trial, a judge will tell the jury how the judge thinks the legal test should be interpreted, and it will be the jury who conclude whether any excuse was reasonable enough. Now, I mentioned earlier that the criminal offences are similar to the current grounds for issuing a contribution notice. 
An important distinction, though, is that the contribution notice powers, as well as the new grounds for issuing a contribution notice and the financial support direction powers, are limited to those who are connected with or associates of employers in the scheme. For companies, this is broadly limited to corporate groups, but there are areas where someone who is able to order a company to take actions can also be brought into scope. The new criminal offences, though, are not restricted in this way. They can potentially apply to anyone, so are much broader. As well as employers and other companies in the corporate group, TPR could also potentially prosecute directors, trustees, advisors and others. The last thing I want to set out in this recap of the criminal offences is the ability for TPR to bring prosecutions for taking actions taking place before the law came into effect. The criminal offences are not yet in force. The, the Act has been passed, but we've to been told that the plan for these sections is they will come in in autumn and TPR has a placeholder in its guidance for the 1st of October 2021. Normally, the principle is that you cannot prosecute people for actions which were not crimes at the time. This appears in the European Convention on Human Rights and the Human Rights Act. The Pensions Minister has also said that the criminal offences will not be retrospective. However, the nature of pensions is that a course of conduct may extend over a long time. The government's 2018 white paper talked about potentially applying the one million civil penalties to actions from the date of that paper. We have likewise seen TPR use its civil moral hazard powers on the basis of conduct predating the relevant laws. For example, the long-running Box Clever case saw TPR looking at actions of ITV in 1999 to 2003, before TPR even existed. In its draft guidance on criminal offences, what TPR has said is, Evidence predating the date the criminal offences begin to apply may be relevant to our investigation or prosecution of actions after that date, for example, if it indicates someone's intention. The concern some will have will be that while TPR may point to a more recent action, a prosecution may be relying on past conduct as setting the context for it. Obviously, for those who are listening to this, you cannot change what you did in the past although you can, now take, you can now take steps to remedy past effects. If you have concerns that TPR may seize on past actions, then it will be something to rate with your advisors. I'll now pass over to Kate, who will cover the nuances of TPR's guidance in more detail. Thanks, Simon. The aim of the draft prosecution policy is to enable TPR to address the more serious and reckless conduct that was already within the scope of his existing contribution notice powers. But the offences fundamentally change the options available to the regulator. That said, TPR has been at pains to make clear that their intention is not to fundamentally change commercial norms or accepted standards of corporate behaviour in the UK. David Fairs, Executive Director of Regulatory Policy at the Regulator, has reinforced this intent when he recently said that TPR will not become a prosecution-hungry organisation, but will use their criminal powers in a proportionate way. TPR confirms in the draft guidance that cases will be selected for investigation in line with this policy intent, and that it will use these new powers where the seriousness of the behaviour requires such intervention, 
to further its statutory objectives and to protect savers. The draft policy should be read in conjunction with TPR's existing prosecution policy, which covers its general approach to investigations and proceedings in all criminal offences. So in the draft guidance, the regulator gives examples of the types of acts previously encountered that might be considered for prosecution under the offences. These include the sale of an employer without replacing an existing parental guarantee in circumstances where the trustees were not told about the sale in advance, the purchase of an employer with no further investment into its business, subsequent mismanagement of the company and extraction of value before the company went into administration, the stripping of assets from an employer, which resulted in substantial weakening of the support for the scheme, and taking steps to bring about the unnecessary insolvency of the scheme employer with the intention of buying the employer's business without the scheme. These examples highlight how the behaviours targeted by the draft policy are likely to be carried out by individuals with significant decision-making power. Other factors that TPR will take into account when deciding whether to prosecute include a person's relationship, duties and proximity to the employer, the scheme and the act or failure to act, the extent of the person's involvement or influence and any direct or indirect benefit received by reason of the act or failure to act. Under the draft policy, TPR states that its approach to the prosecution of the new offences will be closely linked to its existing contribution notice powers. I mentioned these earlier, but before we go further and by way of reminder, contribution notices are directions that can be issued by the regulator requiring employers and or associated or connected persons to contribute specified sums of money to the pension scheme in certain circumstances. In many cases, TPR will consider imposing a contribution notice in the same circumstances in which it would prosecute. However, there may be cases where TPR won't pursue a contribution notice, but would still consider prosecution as its deterrent effect may be in the public's interest. Or conversely, it could pursue a contribution notice without prosecuting. Some of the grounds on which a contribution notice can be issued are the same grounds on which prosecution can be contemplated. For example, where material detriment has been caused to the likelihood of members receiving their accrued scheme benefits. Despite some similarities, there are also important differences between the new offences and the contribution notice powers. For example, unlike the contribution notices, there is no clearance process in relation to the criminal offences. The offences can be committed by anyone other than an insolvency practitioner, whereas for contribution notices, it can only be employers or associated or connected persons. And there is no limitation period for the criminal offences, as opposed to a statutory six-year look-back period, which applies in certain circumstances for the contribution notice powers. So, 
some clues to how the regulator will approach prosecution in relation to the offence of causing material detriment to the likelihood of accrued scheme benefits being received can be found in the current test for material detriment under the contribution notice powers. In fact, TPR has said it will take the same approach as when considering issuing a material detriment contribution notice. So, when, con- when assessing material detriment, the regulator has said it will consider factors such as the value of scheme assets or liabilities and the effect of the act on them and the scheme obligations of any person and its effect on them. It will look at past decisions that it has taken or court decisions. It will reference the Code of Practice 12, which covers the material detriment test and other code-related guidance. And these set out examples of when TPR expects to issue a contribution notice where the material detriment test has been met. The examples include the transfer of the scheme or the sponsoring employer out of the jurisdiction, sponsor support being removed or substantially reduced, and transfer of liabilities to another scheme, leading to a significant reduction of sponsor support or funding to cover the liabilities. TPR would not expect, therefore, to prosecute anyone for this offence who could establish a statutory defence to a material detriment contribution notice. So there is clear linkage here. It's worth noting that in considering whether a person ought to have known that their actions would cause material detriment, TPR has also stated that it will consider the circumstances at the time of the act and not with the benefit of hindsight. Now I'm going to hand over to Heather who will look first at aiding and abetting. Thank you, Kate. As you've said, the new criminal offences could apply to anyone who helps or encourages a person to commit either of these two offences. The draft policy refers to this as secondary liability, and it potentially brings the spotlight onto professional advisers. Fortunately, there is a defence available. If the advisor can demonstrate that they had a reasonable excuse for advising in the way they did, their actions will not be considered an offence. And this is true even where the principal offender may still be liable. Now, TPR has sought to reassure professional advisors that if you're acting in accordance with your professional duties and ethical standards, you are likely to have a reasonable excuse. And this is backed up by the examples in the draft policy as to the type of behaviour that TPR is interested in pursuing. So let's consider one example. There's a lawyer who helps an employer to lay a false trail of evidence, which is designed to hide the employer's true intention for their actions and or form the basis of a reasonable excuse defence. Now, to most observers, this might look suspicious or underhand behaviour. But in addition, it goes against some of the key principles laid out by the Solicitor Regulator Authority, that is, to act with honesty and integrity. And so it's not hard to see, from this example at least, why such unscrupulous behaviour would be caught by the new offences. But admittedly, it may not always be so cut and dry. And in the absence of a complete list of behaviours or activity that will or will not be caught, 
And given the degree of elasticity around the use of the word reasonable, it's understandable why there is still a degree of nervousness. That being said, the message does appear to be that if you are doing the right things and you are complying with your profession's regulatory standards, you have nothing to worry about. And this does fit with what the Pensions Minister said during a debating parliament in November 2020, when he said that the government's aim is to go after the callous crooks who put a pension scheme at risk. And I'm now just going to take a bit of a deep dive into the reasonable excuse defence. And as Simon said, the first point to note is that the legal burden is on TPR or the prosecuting body to prove the absence of a reasonable excuse. But what TPR have said is that this isn't a one-way street. And so they're going to expect targets to be forthcoming, to explain their actions and to put forward sufficient evidence of any matters that might amount to a reasonable excuse. In practice, this means that parties are going to have to show their reasonable excuse across their contemporaneous records. And by that, we mean meeting minutes, correspondence and written advice. And what TPR have said in their policy is that there are three significant factors to build a reasonable excuse defence. And we're going to run through these now. The first factor is to ask whether the detrimental impact or likelihood of benefits being received was an incidental consequence of the act or omission, or was it a fundamentally necessary step to achieve the person's purpose? The more incidental, the more likely the target could establish a reasonable excuse. The second factor is that TPR will assess the adequacy of any mitigation provided to offset the detrimental impact. And remember that TPR expects pension schemes to be treated fairly in relation to other parties. The third factor is that where no or inadequate mitigation is provided, ask yourself, was there a viable alternative which would have avoided or reduced the detrimental impact? Now, this is going to be an area where it will be important to document your rationale in the contemporaneous records. But a warning, don't rely entirely on these three factors. As important as they are, also bear in mind that TPR will take into account the extent of communication and consultation with trustees, compliance with any statutory notification duty, and it will also just think about how open you've been with TPR. One final important point on the reasonable excuse defence. We expect that TPR will review and amend its guidance as the case law in this area develops. So it's very much a watch this space topic. And having just considered how parties may be able to defend themselves, it's worth asking, is there any scope to get TPR's blessing that it won't pursue a criminal prosecution before you press go on a transaction? Well, unfortunately not. Because as Kate has said, the existing clearance process, which applies under the Pensions Act 2004 to contribution notices, does not apply to these new criminal offences. And there is no equivalent provision in this new Act. But whilst there is no backdoor route to a defence to the new criminal offences, what TPR have said is that if clearance for a contribution notice is granted, this will be a relevant factor for deciding whether or not to prosecute a criminal offence. And so to that extent, it remains to be seen whether anyone will actually try to use this to test the water. Taking everything we've just discussed into account, where and when do we expect lawyers to be brought in? Well, ideally, the earlier in a transaction, the better. 
This is so that the parties can frame the proposed transaction or proposed decision to be taken in light of the new criminal offences. And as you'll have gathered, legal input will be required at various stages during the life of a transaction. That will be to draft or review the contemporaneous records, which are going to be key to building a reasonable excuse. And finally, as soon as there is any hint of a criminal investigation, parties should take legal advice to understand what TPR can do and ensure that everyone understands the of the criminal and civil sanctions at TPR's disposal. And with that, I'm going to hand back over to Kate to bring all this together. Thank you, Heather. Well, I hope that you've Yard's prosecution guidance offers the clarity and uncertainty that many in the industry are waiting for. We shall have to see what comes out of the responses to consultation. However, it seems likely that TPR will wish to retain the flexibility that the legislation provides to enable it to take action in appropriate circumstances and will not wish to be boxed in. So thanks very much for listening today. Our next podcast is on 4th of May and will be on the topic of transfers. And we hope that you will join us 